The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Kia ora koutou katoa, and welcome to Business is Boring. Fast-growing companies are a wild thing to be part of, especially companies that define an industry. Canva is one of these kind of businesses. It's one of the most successful companies that Australia has produced. Think zero, but about six times as big. One Kiwi, who was instrumental in its early growth, is now back here and has set up Phase 1 Ventures. They're a cool new kind of venture group. They act a little like a Y Combinator incubator, but with its own twist. To talk about that, being part of some of Australia's biggest ventures and his journey, we're joined now by Mahesh Muralitha. Tanakwe. Tanakwe. Hey, so tell me, you've made your career at some of these great startups in Australia. How was it that you came to be in Australia? Yeah, well, so I was in Tokyo. I was working in Tokyo, um, having a really good professional career with um, Robert Walters Tokyo. I was in recruitment back in the day. And Robert Walters Tokyo was considered the best office that Robert Walters had. Robert Walters is a large multinational recruitment uh, company, uh, they used to charge 40% uh, for placement, which is a significantly high percent. And, and t- tell us what that means, because people outside of recruitment are always amazed when they find out the money uh, that flows through recruitment. Yeah. So uh, 40% means that uh, for a successful placement, uh, you would make 40% of the annual salary as commission for the company. Wow. So if you put someone in who earned 300 grand a year, which is the kind of people you're recruiting for, I guess, you'd make... 40% of that. Correct, exactly yeah. right. <laughs> I bailed out of doing the maths on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, around 120,000. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So the um, and and I was I was young when I got in there. I was I remember I remember walking into um, the I was 24 when I when I ended up uh, moving there I got headhunted from New Zealand uh, to to um, to work in the Tokyo office at Walters. Um, and because I was gaijin, uh, which is foreigner Japanese, as, as you know, I, uh, they, they had a little level of respect for, oh, foreign expertise, you must know something. And I remember walking into the head of HR for Microsoft Japan as a 24-year-old, walking into the main office in like, I think in the second or third week. And I'm, I'm just like excited, right? And I pick up the phone and I make an international call before the head of HR, the global head of HR Japan comes in and call my mates in New Zealand going, guys, I'm in this like crazy office here. I don't even know what I'm doing. Because then they asked me, hey, how do we, you know, think about like recruiting for Microsoft, et cetera. And you just come up with stuff as consultants do. Um, but they, but uh, we... We didn't charge everyone 40%, but we hit peaks of 40%, which is if there is anybody working in recruitment professional services, they'll know that it's really high. Um, unfortunately, after three years in Tokyo, the GFC started to hit. Um, and I had no clue what was happening other than that, this, this inkling that I needed to come back home. 
and I wanted to, I was always going to come back home, um, but I thought I'd do a stint in Sydney before coming back home, just do, you know, a few years. And uh, that's when I hit uh, all, uh, Sydney, um, but the GFC really hit um, uh, the world when I pretty much landed in Sydney. And so what did you decide to do? Because you started your own startup, hey, that you were um, really committed to and going and, and, and raising for and everything when you kind of fatefully met the Canva founders. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a wee story there, Simon. Um, and we're going through it right now, right? Like markets are contracting and maybe it's something we'll touch on. But um, the GFC had an incredible, profound impact on me. And if anybody hasn't watched The Big Short, watch it. It's, it's a wonderful, nearly neat doco on what happened. But I remember as the markets contracted, I lost my job. And um, I, I remember thinking, wait, what is my relationship with society here? Like, what is my identity? What do I, like, what is the value I create? I, and I remember thinking so clearly, maybe I need to learn how to busk. Or I need to, you know, I didn't understand what my what my relationship with society is. And that's what the economy provides us in many ways, right? Like we get to do stuff. We get to create value. Society goes, hey, thank you. And here's value back. Like it is an incredibly important part of our identity. Um, And I realized I'm not somebody who gets angry with the world. Um, Well, that's not true. I'm not someone who gets angry with people. Instead, I go, okay, I don't understand this well enough. So for the last decade, I've, I've been incessantly curious to understand how does the economy and the global economy work. Um, so then I did an MBA. And I worked really hard to do an MBA. Um, I, I ended up in the top 1% in the world in, 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 in like, uh, the exams. Got a scholarship, but still didn't have enough money to actually get through the MBA. So I ended up sleeping in MBA quarters and the university, et cetera. Post that, got into strategy consulting, realized this was still not creating the kind of value I wanted to, and then started my own startup because I was like, I needed to do something. I needed to create value to have a relationship with, with the economy and society, a direct relationship. Um, and that's, that, that was the beginning of the pathway which ended up me joining Canva. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, yeah, if anyone is interested in listening to a podcast like this, and you haven't seen The Big Short, you have to. <laughs> and you also have to read everything Michael Lewis has written. He's, mm. the, he's the best. Mm. Um, but yeah, like that idea of creating value, because it is so wild what the, you, you know, when you're part of like essentially the parasitical class, you know, if you're doing things like, um, you know, professional <laughs> services, <laughs> just kind of, you know, taking money off the actual value creators. And then you look at what society doesn't value, like, nurses and rest home workers and people caring for children and, you know, the actual only important work, you know, in the actual scheme of things. It's absolutely wild. So so that urge to kind of like start something and make something of value. Tell me about the space you went into because you you were in kind of a jobs recruitment-y kind of world, hey? Correct. So the market always wants to become more and more efficient. Society needs to become more and more efficient. We, We just... Everybody, like, on, from a macro perspective, we want things to become more automated, et cetera. And clearly history shows that we are on this, like, incredible pathway that we just make things better. So generally, so we need entrepreneurs to be successful. Society will ensure that entrepreneurs are successful um, because we, it has to happen. The, um, generally, entrepreneurs, it's wise to kick off in 
the problem spaces they know and the markets they know. So I knew um, because my early career was in recruitment, I understood recruitment. I understood, understood the talent market. So I thought, okay, let, let me have a crack at this. And I also knew that um, the best and a lot of, the, a lot of h- hiring is done through referrals. Um, you know, a mate, you refer a job to a mate or you, you refer a mate to a job, et cetera, et cetera. Incredibly, this is still not automated. This is still not like there's, it's an incredibly um, uh, frictionful uh, situation. So I thought I would have a crack at this. Um, and I bootstrapped for a year and a half, meaning spend my own money to do this. Um, it didn't build anything useful. Uh, because, and this is uh, important and something I share with all my founders, you need ego to think you can change the world. You need like a level of hubris to go, I can do something. But then you need to focus incredibly on a problem. An idea is worth nothing. Ideating is worth a lot. Um, just as forecasts are not worth so much, but forecasting is worth a lot, like the discipline of doing that. Unfortunately, the vast majority of founders get caught up in their ideas and advisors and everybody's like, and they start judging ideas. And we have so many like, uh, you know, events that judge ideas. They're worth nothing because um, who knows what's going to work and what's the right solution, et cetera. But you can count on a founder who's, who is so focused on understanding a problem. And I spent a year and a half building an idea and a solution without spending enough time incessantly understanding who is the customer, what is their problem, is it the CFO, is it accounts payable, is it the HR director, is it the CEO, who is flashing the credit card, when are they flashing the credit card, in what context are they flashing the credit card, what exactly is the problem, when does it happen. It takes about six to nine months of incredible amount of interviews to do that. So I didn't do that. But I did learn a whole bunch of other things. Yeah, it's so true, hey, that to be kind of unusually successful and dedicated, you have to have the confidence that you can do anything, but also the humility that you don't know anything and you have to prove everything out and learn everything. And the people who can do both of those things at the same time, uh, yeah, like it's special to be able to do it straight away, but you kind of have to learn it, don't you, if you you aren't kind of one of the one in a billion who are born with it. Correct. Exactly right. You're exactly right, Simon. And I think, again, I have this incredible, I'm in this incredible position where I work so closely with early stage founders. I think you get it through a journey. I think there's a unique set of situations that happens. You actually have to like launch out thinking you've got the solution. But for some reason, you bump into someone that really hits home to you that you don't have a clue what you're doing. And when you hit that person, then you go, oh, crap, I'm already on this, jo- uh, this journey. My identity, et cetera, is already on this journey. I'm not giving up, but now I'm going to go backwards. There's just about enough sunk cost that you're now in on this five to 10-year journey, but you haven't built up too much baggage that you, you can't go backwards. Um, and also, I believe that the vast majority of founders, if they don't give up too much equity, and they just persevere, they become incredibly successful. Um, A startup becomes incredibly successful because they spend a lot of time learning. So it's like a slow thing, and then you launch. Too much society thinks you just launch and the social network just happens. 
(laughs) It's not. Like, it takes a long time. And so you were right in the midst of actually raising your seed after a year and a half of working on this when you met the founders of Canva. Hey, and can can you give us a little bit of context? Because, like, in New Zealand, I think, you know, we kind of know that Canva's big. Uh, Lots of people would use it. Lots of students, especially uh, today, it's their default uh, system. But because they haven't been as present in the New Zealand ecosystem, I'm not sure everyone really understands just how significant that company has become in the Australian business, not even just tech, but business ecosystem. Yeah, I um, I, I feel incredibly lucky to have worked with Mel and Cliff and Cam and Zach. These are the effectively the founding uh, team and leaders at Canva. So what happened was I, I started becoming um, known in the Australian startup ecosystem. Um, there was a bunch of us that were just coming off the coattails of Atlassian. So we're the early grass shoots of the Australian startup ecosystem. Um, I was known as a hustler. Um, I got Uber using our um, uh, uh, platform by leaving three, uh, three Tim Tam packets every day of the week outside the Uber office with our pitch in regards to please use us. And then the Uber co-founder, uh, Uber country manager gave me a call going, who are you? What do you want? Because um, I could only off, uh, afford those, that like three pack of Tim Tams. Um, and I, I said, this is what we do. He said, look, we'll use your platform. Just stop coming to office. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so word spread of like my hustle. Um, and I, I remember meeting Cliff for the first time. And I was trying to get Canva to use our platform. Um, and I think he sized me up pretty fast and he was like, okay, I think I, I, I want to work closer with you. Uh, cause you could see an entrepreneur who was hell bent on trying to make change. Um, I, so I initially joined on contract, uh, uh just helping them out, um, um, three, four days a week, helping that to pay for my startup. But very quickly I was like, this is going somewhere. Uh, and, um, and I was very comfortable. Uh, we were tired after a year and a half startup founders stop. When they, some when they run out of money, when the emotional juice runs out in regards to going, and our emotional juice after a year and a half of just going so hard just kind of was on the tipping point. Um, and when Canva said, hey, do you want to join us? It was 25 people. Uh, I said, yes. Canva, w- there is every chance Canva will become the most successful and valuable company coming out of Australia. Melanie Perkins is the second richest woman in Australia. Um, this is a couple, Melanie Perkins, Clifford Brecht, who started their journey as an 18, 19-year-old on an initial tech business, which was designed for high school yearbooks. And then after seven years of that, uh, kicked off Canva. She is the most stubborn person I've ever met in my whole life. She executes incredibly well. And I remember being in a room similar to this, with 25 people and on a whiteboard, uh, she starts drawing buildings and fields. And, um, and I, I, I have big plans and big visions, I think, sometimes. And I was like, what are you doing? And, um, and she's like, oh, I'm just like drawing a vision for all of you in regards to where Canva's going to be. And there's going to be 100 people in this building and 100 people in this building and, and we're going to be able to design this. There's going to be people working on this product and there's going to be people working on this product. And I was just blown away. Right. Um, in regards to vision. And they always said that they wanted to do good for the world. And I definitely got a little bit emotional last year after they did the last round and valued at 40 billion US, uh, which is awesome. And they gave a third of their equity away to charitable uh, organizations. It's so wonderful for me 
to have been part of an organization and a story where the founders were like, I want to do good. And then to see them follow through on that, it's just, it, 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 you know, it's my contribution to mm. society, right? This is all I wanted. And remember when we just chatted about five minutes ago, I said, I didn't understand my relationship with society and giving back. And to know that I was part of that and I'm, I was able to make that change is huge. Yeah. And so coming in at number 25 uh, in a fast growing company and then being head of people and, you know, helping to actually scale up their team, like anyone who's worked in a high growth tech company or any business will know that you succeed by the quality of your people, like getting the right people and having the right systems so that they can work well um, is, is the, is the, is the force multiplier, you know, like you, you, you can, you can do anything, but if you, you need the people. Um, how did you go about setting them up to do that first big scale and, um, yeah, help, help, help them grow from that, that 20 to 200 is, uh, as hard as kind of like, um, you know, 100 to 500 or, yeah. <laughs> totally. So people always ask me, how do you scale good culture? How do you, you know, how do you do that? And, um, there's a few things here that there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that people don't uh, people don't appreciate. Culture is a big word like love, right? Like, what does that mean? Um, in my opinion, every commercial decision you make is a cultural decision. Every cultural decision you make is a commercial decision. How you open up your wallet, what you spend your money on, is a reflection of your culture, your own personal. What's a priority to you? So that's really important. How you allocate capital in a business is arguably the most powerful cultural things you do, right? It is where you're putting your time, resources, and priorities. So it's not soft stuff. It's very hard, uh, tangible decisions. And in my opinion, the, the easiest way to have a great culture is to ensure that you're winning. What are our goals? What are we surpassing them? And is, is everybody clear about all our goals and are we surpassing them? If you are winning as a team, if you're the All Blacks, if you're, um, if you, if you were, I mean, Manchester City, that's just won the premiership right now, everything becomes easier because trust me, every entity, every organization, every fan out has its issues. There's a level of chaos everywhere. But if you're coming in every day and you're like, oh, I'm achieving towards our mission, I'm secure that I'm going to have food on the table because we're winning, everything's easier. So first and foremost, make sure that the organization's winning, right? So that is by far and beyond the most important thing. I, I love that because I've seen before and I really um, connected to the idea that you don't have a hiring problem, you've got a growth problem. Because if you're growing real fast and you're real exciting, exciting people are going to come to you. But that's nicer because if, if you've got a winning problem, like if it feels like you're winning, it doesn't matter how hard you're growing. Uh, people want to be somewhere where, where they're winning. Yeah, love it. Sorry to jump in on you. No, not at all. And, and this is a lot of founders. So the, the, the person that solves your problem the most today and forever is the customer. It is always the customer. I mean, on occasion, short term, you might need a cash injection, maybe an investor comes in, et cetera. And at some point, your number one priority becomes employees because they're the ones who are connected to your customer. Okay, so, so that needs to be clear. But at the end of the day, the person that solves your problems is your customer and your customer focus. So um, I see people, see companies sometimes try to hire their way out of problems. They're like, oh, if we change our leadership team, oh, if we, you know, yes, there might be, you know, some change that happens. But if your bottom line 
is not like your customers aren't loving what you're doing, any changes may not make a big difference. Outside of that, what Canva did incredibly well is we had a really high hiring bar. So, hey, we're winning. We're going places. We're going to go change the world. We want the best. In, in the best right fit, right? Like, because it's all subjective. Um, and uh, it was incredibly hard to get into Canva uh, because early doors, you can't have false positives when you bring on someone. It's incredibly costly if something doesn't work out. Like I said earlier, it's capital allocation, right? So if you were spending 150, 200K on a marketing project, you'd sit down and go through it for days in regards to is this the right way? What does it spend? But we don't tend to make the same uh, level of uh, research and uh, effort when we're hiring someone. Let's put a job description out. Let's have a couple of interviews. There's not enough thought. And hiring is laced with biases. You need to actually systemize it, structure it, and take your time. Hire slow, fire fast, right? This is you have responsibility as an entrepreneur, as a founder, to customers and the people come on board, your current employees. So do this assiduously. And there are certain steps in regards to this. Um, Just on that note, when founders tell me, hey, they they struggle to hire, um, Cliff would get everybody to stand up and applaud when we successfully brought someone on. I tell founders when they say we're struggling to hire, how big a priority is it to you? Is it your number one priority? Is it your number two priority? Are you across it? Do you know how to hire? Did you write the onboarding document? Did you write the job description? Have you spoken to 20, 30 people? Have you hustled? Like, this is a core part of the business. This is like one of the most expensive things. No, this is the most expensive thing you're doing. Uh, Do you understand how it works? And I'd, I'd suggest the vast majority of entrepreneurs haven't actually, like, um, really got into the weeds of, uh, you know, this is my number one priority now. And we'll be back in a moment to hear about the journey through a couple of other great Australian startups and coming back to New Zealand to start up Phase One Ventures. Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market. The opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix Podcast, brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Great, and so tell me how you then came out of Canva and were able to 
contribute to a couple of other big companies. Because I think the really interesting thing there, you mentioned before Atlassian was kind of the starter. And in New Zealand, everyone would know kind of TradeMeet was the starter of our system. And then Canva, I reckon the New Zealand version is probably zero. And the cool thing we've seen in New Zealand is so many of these people who got their experience at uh, zero have gone on to make their mark at so many other countries, uh, so many other companies, and um, you know all of the other kind of companies have kind of followed in their, their footsteps. So, yeah, how did you, um, you know, take what you'd learned and your social capital and get involved in some of these other great companies? Yeah, that's a great point, Simon. Um, I think you're absolutely right. So, people who've been there, done that. People who've seen um, exactly what it's like to be in the engine room of high growth, then that knowledge gets transferred. Um, I think you make a good point about Trade Me and Zero in New Zealand. Um, I think New Zealand needs even more high growth, even more ambitious founders who have cut, th- uh, broken through um, uh, glass ceiling, to then um, to then uh, create the next wave. Um, Canvas first engineering advisor was the head of engineering of Facebook. Canvas first um, uh, uh, growth advisor was the head of growth of Pinterest, right, Casey Winters. Now, Mel and Cliff were very clear. They'd done s- such hard yards to get where they wanted to get, and they knew they could probably execute better than most in most situations. So they were clear that, hey, if I'm going to learn from people, I want to learn from people who've see- been, seen the heights of um, where they want to get to. New Zealand founders don't have enough access to, actually, they do have a lot of access. If you pick up the phone, send someone a LinkedIn email, they will respond. But we need to get that culture and the behavior and that pathway accessible and something that we really do well at phase one, which we'll touch on later. But to your point, I then had the opportunity to move on from Canva to Airtasker and simply Wall Street. And straight away, right, those lessons in regards to what excellence looks like, and I can guarantee this is what, like an all black after a training camp, goes back to their NPC team or wherever, a Super 12 team, they're like, there's a bar, right? Now we need to hit a bar. Um, um, so, so I was able to pass on my learnings in regards to what's, what's, a, what's a high performance culture at Airtasker and simply Wall Street. What are the systems, processes? How do we look at this? What are the questions? For example, in a high-performance culture, uh, usually it's a written culture uh, in organizations where if we're going to make a decision, someone's written a document out, someone's put a lot of thought in, and it's incredible the level of debate that happens over a word because precision becomes really important. There's a difference between the word fast and quick. Why did you say fast? Isn't it, aren't we supposed to be quick? You know, it sounds pedantic and silly, but just that acute difference makes a huge uh, uh, like, uh, a difference like a year down the road. Mm-hmm. Right? You, you demand really high levels from each other. And, and um, so that, that, that culture then starts to pass on. Especially in the world of culture, hey, as um, you, you know, I was involved in a company that, um, that, that grew 1,100% and we, we went from kind of um, you know, 30 to 200 people in a year. And it was, it was bananas. But the thing is, like, not everyone was for each of those stages. Like, at the beginning stage, being an entrepreneurial pirate who'll throw everything at the wall and the environment being like a family is really kind of um, really valuable. But then once it got to a certain multinational stage, it actually required people to be able to kind of um, change up their approach to work and planning and process 
Uh, and if people didn't want to change up, maybe they were best to, st- to, to, to go to other companies that were at that early stage. And it's, it's a real skill to be able to step into another um, phase, which is why those founders are often so um, inspiring because they are able to kind of go up those phases. Um, to, talk to me about that as well, because in terms of like culture, um, you know, that difference between family and high performance team, for example, is often a really big kind of hinge, isn't it? Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm, a, I'm really pedantic about this. The definition of a startup put forward by Paul Graham, the founder of Y Combinator, the world's best accelerator, Dropbox, Airbnb, all of these companies came out of it. The definition of a startup is growth. Something that aspires and eventuates to 5 to 10% growth week on week. It's not a tech business. It's not, you know, just, you know, services, but it's something that is just like scaling, going from child to adult at hectic rates. So to your point on the experience you had, that would have been crazy growth, right? And it's just the most powerful learning experience that I have seen a business professional go through because it's just like you're winning. What's the next project? What's the next project? Oh, we need to redo our accounting system. We need to redo our finances. We need to launch in China next week. We need to, oh my goodness, like it's just like project after project, uh, which is epic. I think the difference as you scale, not dissimilar to, uh, to child to adult, is you have more and more systems that need to, uh, need to come in. Your risk tolerance changes, right? Rightfully so. When you're 5, 10 people or 25 people and you've got this much, you can do all kinds of stuff. And, and you need to actually act in a risky way because you're still going to the market and going, hey, I've got something, I've got something. So I'm going to take a, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something risky here. I'm going to do something there. Do you like it? Do you like it? But as the market starts to like you more and more, as you have more and more customers, you need to start to formalize and stabilize a little bit more, more security. You've got more customers. So more systems need to come in. You invariably have to slow down. Um, so that's, that's what changes. Um, and you're, to your point, the founders go on an incredible journey because they are like having a direct conversation with the market, right? So they're just changing and everybody underneath there needs to like systemize, narrow down a little bit more, et cetera. And tell me about, like, we'll, we'll jump a couple of stages to get back to phase one, is, you know, you decided to, after being part of these great companies uh, in Australia, come back here to get involved more as a mentor, investor, and kind of incubator of these these ideas, um, which is in that phase one, which was what I was thinking there about, you know, are there the different phases that you can really help people with? So, yeah, so after having been part of these really big companies, what led you to want to come back and work really kind of precede uh, with these founders. Yeah. Um, so my story with New Zealand is I moved to New Zealand on my own when I was 14 from Singapore. I moved from Singapore to Napier, I think it was late 90s, like 95, 96 or something. That must have been like going back in time. Yeah. <laughs> it was different. It was different. Um, I um, And I didn't know anything, right? Like, so in my second week in a high school social, I didn't even know what a high school social was. Um, it was the year the Warriors came out. Um, I didn't know what league was. I'm seeing Hydro Cassini like launch himself at a bunch of, uh, at a wall of people trying to learn stuff. Um, I remember hearing the word Bogan for the first time and going around asking people, am I a Bogan? Like, you know, I don't know. Like, you know. <laughs> um, I love New Zealand. Uh, it's, it's arguably my highest form of identity. It, it was a place that gave me so much space to learn and fail and grow um, for me, home is 2 a.m. on K Road. Um, I've had so many, Auckland City is so important to me. 
Um, so to have the privilege to come back home and give back is really important. One day, maybe I'd, I'd like to understand, investigate sort of the political side of things. But I've learned a whole bunch of things in regards to high, how to build high growth companies. I, I think not many people get to see this stuff. And if I can share that experience and help create uh, a large number of high growth business leaders, which then eventuates to thousands and thousands and thousands of jobs for New Zealand and creates wealth for the country, um, I think I would have done uh, a job. Uh, in, um, in Indian uh, culture, there's a word, or Sanskrit, there's a word called dharma, which is duty. My dad, when I was really young, said, your duty, a dharma, is to um, leave the world better than I did. And I think some sort of like glitch in my system is just hooked onto that. And I'm like, okay. I owe it to a lot of people and people. I, I saw a lot of poverty in India. And I, I think I don't take for granted that I ended up in a position much more fortunate than the vast majority of people. Okay. You got to like return back. So... So that's my story in regards to coming back home and, like, if I can help New Zealand. And just on one more note, New Zealand allows for a level of moral superiority our country does. And it's not – I've learned now, spending more time learning the journey that Tangata Whenua has gone through, it's not, comp- it's not accurate. Regardless, there is this hook relative to other countries. So I'm like, okay, New Zealand, making the best country in the world even better – so, and it's my country. So having the privilege to do that is um, awesome. Yeah, I like that. I mean, New Zealand definitely has uh, better PR than um, reality in a lot of these things, hey. But that doesn't mean that it's not already a great place that needs, mm. to, needs to get better. Mm. It doesn't mean that it, it has to be bad to start with and everything, mm. does mm. it? Um, yeah, I, I love that idea of doing like a, you know, 76% pure streams, um, you know, <laughs> tourism or, you know, to actually look That's into right. our, our, our founding lies. That's right. Um, yeah. And so, and so what is it around coming back and working with the early stage startups? So, um, yeah, how, how are you able to help these kind of seed companies and what are you doing at phase one? Yeah, so phase one is an early stage founder community. Our thesis is that founders don't win and don't succeed because they don't build a product that people love. It's as simple as that. It's not because of access, lack of access to money. There's enough money, even with global economic contractions that are happening, and it's going to get rough for the next 18 months. Um, there's still enough dry part out there. There's money out there. People don't build a product that customers love. And to do that, there are two things you need, and we discussed this already. Access to people who've been there, done that, to, to, to um, walk through that paradox of hubris and incredible customer obsession, as well as, um, as, well as customer obsession, like really focusing on the customer. Um, so what we do is we've currently got 16 founders in our community Easy Rent, Toby at Easy Rent um, in Sydney, and if you look him up on uh, on on Face on LinkedIn, uh, he talked about how they've filled up hundred rooms. Uh, it's basically midterm Airbnb. This amazing um, young Kiwi, uh, uh, Toby, Jack, and Alex, who are just getting up every day and launching themselves at um, at the wall, uh, building, growing this marketplace. Dev and Sophia at Sugar Wallet. Um, 
automating and privatizing superannuation for everybody. Um, CODIS, a procurement uh, software play. Harry, uh, Matt and Matt, um, MinQ, in-house legal. And all of these guys, currently 16, and we're looking for another 24. Um, 16 people, 16 founders, Samantha Gadd, at excellent. Um, th- we stick together. We catch up regularly, and we talk about how to be customer-obsessed, problem-obsessed. We connect each of these founders with a senior product manager or senior person in product from Atlassian, Canva, Airtasker for a fortnightly catch-up relationship for a year because to build a great product takes time. So that, that so it's that mentor relationship we set, set them up with and this community that we set them up with. Like those two things – and we commit to a year, year and a half that we're going to keep this community going. And then, and there's no cost. All we ask is we want our founders to know that this is a five to 10 year journey. We need you to be problem and customer obsessed. So we need you to be comfortable doing the drunken walk of figuring out the actual problem, which takes six to nine months. Um, and we want you to dream crazy big. And so that, that's like a little bit like, you know, people listen to the show will probably be familiar with a Y Combinator kind of model, except Y Combinator, there is a cost. They take a great big chunk of equity, but they do give you a chunk of cash to go as well, don't they? So, yeah, t- talk to us about that as, um, yeah, like how do you um, maintain that? Is, is that kind of from being really early at Canva, you can afford to do that? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think to, to that point, Simon, uh, and actually uh, we'll be, we do have a small fund which we invest into these startups and we have the right to invest on what is really generous terms relative to the market because we are going long on New Zealand. Our target we've set ourselves is 10 unicorns by 2026 for New Zealand um, because that, I think, will create the change. Uh, and our mission is to make New Zealand an even happier place by transforming New Zealand's startup ecosystem. One of uh, New Zealand's most prominent later stage funds has actually invested into a fund, and we'll be announcing that very shortly. So um, uh, watch the news. Yeah, so I, I, I think it's not so much about the money, but I'm not going to – as of now, I've got like a dotted line around latter portion of next year because from a short-term perspective, this isn't sustainable. I'm not paying myself anything. You're right about comparing myself to Y Combinator, comparing us to Y Combinator – that was also a bunch of founders and entrepreneurs that had been incredibly successful. And they were like, okay, I've got time and space and resource to give back. So I think something unusual happens. Maybe, we'll find out. Um, when someone who's done the hard yards and been lucky enough to have incredible success across product and tech comes back to a community and goes, I, want, I know the journey a founder goes through. I know the pain hassle. You are the most important creature in the whole economy, like we need you to be successful and I'm going to try to help as much as possible and then takes a short-term cost hit uh, and then goes long. I think it's something VCs can't afford uh, because it's a different model. Um, So we'll find out how um, this experiment works out. Cool. And I love that idea of like one of the key value points is to build a relationship with a real heavy hitter in product and like you said before about advice being something that founders need to be really wary of, 
Mike Carden from Joyous has a fantastic line. He says, Be- beware of advice. Most of it's nostalgia and vanity. Because unless someone knows the context of what you do really deeply, and unless they're still involved doing that right now, it's not probably going to be that useful. So that idea, when I heard there that it's like a long-term relationship so that the person giving advice knows the context and they're people who are still doing it. That seems to me to be kind of the, the, the beauty of like useful advice. Yeah, absolutely. Incentives are important, right? Like understanding um, what are the incentives of people and the entities are really important. All our mentors uh, are required to invest into our fund, even if it's a small amount, like a 5K or whatever, then it aligns incentives, right? And these are top tremendous people who haven't really started investing in, in, in playing angel land. So it's a it's a good model for them too to start um, uh, start getting involved. Um, yeah, uh, it is one of the most important things. Who are your advisors? Who are you turning to to ask for advice? New Zealand has wonderful business leaders, people who've been so successful in services, in property, etc. But if you're building a high growth product and tech company, ask someone who has done that. Um, and, 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 and be very wary of it. A founder seeks, is looking for validation so much from um, anybody. It's a hard journey, right? But um, try to ask people who've been there, done that. Yeah, we've moved a long way from the old angel scene that was kind of, you know, ex-dentists. No, no offense to dentists, they helped a lot of these businesses start, but it wasn't def- necessarily vital advice. And, and it's, it's amazing to see that, that kind of grow. Hey. And then is it kind of like, um, yeah, like, what advice? I mean, you're giving advice to a lot of these um, young and early stage, uh, not to put an age on it, early stage founders. Um, what advice would you give to someone who is thinking about um, jumping in today? Yeah. And just want to, before I touch on that, I want to call out, uh, I, I, was ju- I graduated out of University of Auckland just as the Ice House came about. And early, the early Angel Network was just forming. And you have to give massive kudos to the pioneers, right? Like it's not easy. Pioneering of anything is not easy. Things will change, have to change, etc. cetera. Uh, and I, I'm incredibly grateful for, um, you know, the people that, you know, have, have done the hard work to, to take, get us to where we are. But we need to accelerate. We need to move forward. And, and just to kind of round out that thought on the Ice House as well, like they have built over these 20 years a whole lot of really great systems to make sure that, it's kind of, um, you know, the money and value is being passed on from all of these people who want to get involved. So, yeah, it's it's definitely moved a long way from the early days. I don't know if the Ice House was the worst spot of it anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. But yeah. we, we do need to, yeah. we, deemed, we do need to dream bigger mm-hmm. and we do need to become even more generous with our early stage founders because New Zealand needs, our, our country needs an economy that's future-proofed. It is, it is, it is probably technology our graduates and people working in our workforce absolutely have the skills. We don't have a globally competitive environment in New Zealand. We need to create more organizations that have that so that then as a country, we are operating at a level and we're accruing wealth at a level, which is, okay, we can spend more money on nurses and, re- and, and, and hospitals and invest more into the common good. So we need many of these countries to come through, uh, companies to come through. What would I tell a founder be customer obsessed. Go super niche. You need to go super niche. Building a product, a great product, is all about incredible niche first. Um, and if you can, uh, if, if because 
solving, you just need to solve a very small problem. Um, so, for example, in 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 radio broadcasting, I'm sure um, scheduling of guests is a massive issue. Uh, I'm sure um, uh, cost management of a certain sort is an issue. Uh, I'm sure getting audio exactly right is an issue. If you can just solve a very niche problem for a very niche customer, there are millions of people having this problem. And if you can build just a small, great product that solves that, um, then, uh, then, then, then you're playing. And uh, come speak to us. <laughs> right. Uh, and I'd love to speak to many other early stage founders and uh, help them achieve their dreams. Awesome. And as a final thought, Mahesh, what will success be for you personally and for Phase One Ventures? Uh, for phase one, it's 10 unicorns, 20 to 26, right, in New Zealand. It's quite soon. Yep, yep, got to get a move on. <laughs> it, it's really cool. Um, it's funny, um, I, Toby, Toby at Easy Rent's the most, like, sort of, you know, gung-ho. Um, his April Fool's joke was brilliant when he said, um, you know, Airbnb's purchased us, uh, and so many people sort of like that and so forth. And he keeps going, we've got one spot. You know, and it's lovely. Like our community, like helps each other, supports each other, and I think you need to set ambitious goals. And you know, you under you overestimate what you can achieve in the short term, and you underestimate what you can achieve in the long term. So fingers crossed. Uh, for me personally, um, I just want New Zealand to be an even happier place. Um, I think a lot of our uh, public institutions need more support. Uh, I would like uh, our history in regards to Fenua to be at, at, at an even more at healthier level for us to have a better understanding of our history. And I, I'd, I'd like, I'd like our, our students, our, our ki- kids growing up in New Zealand to have like incredible access and be able to achieve like outstanding dreams. So hopefully we'll see. Uh, I think I'm going to give a decade to this. Um, making all of this happen as much as I can. After that, I would like to take a break, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> it's been it's been it's been a fairly intense ten years so far in startup land. Um, so after after another ten years, hopefully to New Zealand for New Zealand, um, I'd like to take a break. I love it, man. And I reckon history's a superpower, eh? Like. Mm. A, you can't know your present if you don't know the history. And New Zealand is built on a whole lot of foundational lies, and it would be really cool if everyone understood that. And um, and also the skills of analysing, understanding that you know there's different forces at play. It's kind of the intersection of economics and politics and sociology. It's, yeah, it's it's a it's a really exciting place. So. I agree. Love it. Hey, um, so yeah, lovely to chat to you. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your experience with us today. That's Mahesh Murilida from Phase One Ventures. Thank you, Simon. It's been an absolute blast. Before we go, I just wanted to let you know about a little pop-up series that's starting this week. It'll be out Thursday in your business is boring feed. It's called Going Global, and here's a little bit more about what it's all about. What does it take to get ideas from inside your head out to the world? And what is holding some Aotearoa businesses back from going global? Kia ora, I'm Simon Pound. And I'm Brianne West. Together, we're the hosts of Going Global, a businesses boring pop-up series brought to you by the Spinoff Podcast Network in partnership with New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. There have been some great moves in general New Zealand business, but our exporters are still looking a bit more traditional, a bit paler, a bit more male, and not capturing all the creativity of the local scene. So why is this? What does it take to export? And why don't some people who are selling overseas think of themselves as exporters? And how can we change this? 
These are some of the questions we'll be answering throughout the series as we talk to six of our most successful and inspiring exporters. We'll be finding out the secret to their success, the challenges they've had to face, and we'll be busting some myths along the way. So follow Business is Boring Now wherever you get your podcasts so you can get episodes of Going Global as soon as they are released. Cool. So thank you to Mahesh. Thank you to you for listening and for everyone who helps make this happen, like our producer, Te Butler. Do follow Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to rate and leave a review if you like what we do. Enohora. From the Spinoff Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Kia ora e te iwi, Te Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.